Are we? I I was gonna say this to the end. Uh, are we ever gonna watch the upside? I know. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> hey, everyone, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David, and this is Alon, and I finally watched The Untouchables. The Untouchables, not to be confused with the Kevin Costner, Sean Connery, The Untouchables, is a 2012 French film. Um, I saw this in theater with in theaters with my my now wife and was absolutely blown away by this movie um was really like the performances are just so amazing um the the main character omar sai is someone who i've kind of followed since and uh he's got you know this is now available on netflix and he's also got a a show lupin on netflix which i am going to watch very soon um and i i don't even know if you've noticed this but he was actually in jurassic world the first one yeah. Oh, I missed it. He works with uh, Chris Pratt training the Raptors. Oh, that's him. Yeah. Huh. Um, and so this is a movie that I loved. I immediately bought it when it came out. I was really hopeful of it uh, winning the best foreign language film at the Oscars, which it did not even make it to the nominations, the Wait, final it, five nominations. It did or did not make it to the nom? It did not. Oh. Um which actually has a lot to do with uh, a little bit of controversy surrounding it, but I find it to be all very stupid. Is it because it's later. produced by the Weinstein company? No, no. Although I do think at that point, um, and this is obviously way before all the, uh, the rape allegations against him, um, I think people had kind of gotten tired of him controlling the Oscars. Hmm. So I think there was probably some backlash to that. A lot of people found it that it's to sort of be like a racist trope. The fact that you have this poor black guy helping out this rich white guy who, and they both learn from each other. And, um, you know, they felt, thought it dealt with a lot of stereotypes, but I honestly think that's kind of sort of misses the point. The fact that he's black really doesn't have a whole lot to do with their relationship. They don't really go into depth about the racial struggles that he might deal with. Um, I do I do want to say though that not only do they not go into like the racial struggles and anything like that but this is based on a true story uh and the guy that that Omar plays Driss in real life isn't even black No I believe he is from Algeria Right. So the the fact of, you know, whatever race they made him in the movie is inconsequential to the plot. Well, and some people kind of struck back at that and said, well, then, you know, you made him a black guy when it really should have, you should have stuck with the ethnicity of the original. I guess you could make anything double-edged sword, you know? But the thing is, is I think... Omar Sy is so amazing as this character. It's so amazing in this movie, so charismatic, so funny, um, that it's like he has to play this part. Like he is so amazing in it. And I think trying to like nitpick the the that this is somehow sort of a racist trope, but to me, I think it's just sort of missing the point of the movie and kind of just seeing this cookie cutter like this is this falls into this stereotype and therefore this is bad and i think this story is kind of different than that and i think it's so much more than that 
Well, what's what, what's really funny, and I, I agree with you, by the way, but what's really funny is this movie has been remade quite a few times. Three times that I know of. Three times. And you're saying this one, the one we watched, the Untouchables French edition, this is the original one? The original movie, yes. The original movie? Well, no, not the original story that it's based on. <laughs> it's not a documentary. But, but um, when it was remade in 2017 here in the States, um, it was called The Upside. Right. And Omar's character is played by Kevin Hart. Right. And Philippe by Brian Cranston. And Philippe is, is played by... Which I think Brian Cranston perfectly fits that role. Yeah, I mean, the, the original French actor looks like a perfect cross between Brian Cranston and Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> right. Like, Dustin Hoffman could play this, like, that role, and, and I wouldn't, it wouldn't even skip a beat. But did, I'm curious, maybe you know the answer to this, did other countries' critics have, a pro- have the same issue with no. this movie? No. No, so, and I know we don't really get into this. Usually we don't get into like box office or or reviews and stuff, but I do think it's pretty interesting on this one. So on IMDb, this has been voted the 44th best film ever. Okay. In the top 250. All right. But then it, but then it has like under a 50% on Metacritic. Um, this is the number one... Uh, French film for worldwide box office ever. The number two film ever domestically in France. It's like the number one French film in like tons and tons of countries for box office. There's a, I can't remember what the film festival is, but there's this Canadian film festival that to this day, not in the day of COVID, but would play this movie every year. So, so the, like this movie out, is well beloved everywhere except America, except for a handful to maybe a couple handful of American critics who saw a real issue with this movie. And I don't want to I don't want to talk about this anymore because I've already said I think that those criticisms are kind of unfounded. Um, and this movie, to me, I think besides the story too, is the music is beautiful. It's shot incredibly well. There's some like amazing like set pieces and outdoor shots that are just like this whole, the whole experience of it. I, I am one who will constantly like look at my phone, even in like, you know, well reviewed classics that I, I, it's hard for me to, you know, not just pick up my phone for a second and maybe get distracted. But the other night when we watched this, I didn't even touch my phone once. And I've seen this two or three times just because every time it's just it's such a tight movie. It's an hour and 50 minutes, but it's so like well done. There's no like extra fat and it just kind of, it kind of moves and it's so, it's just so great. Like I love this movie. No, I, I agree with you um, about the, how well cut and, and precise. Um, one of my comments was that it is an under two hour long film um but it it honestly feels shorter than that like it flies by 
And maybe that has to do a little bit with the opening because they use, I like the opening. The opening is interesting to me because it kind of throws you into somewhat of an action scene or as much as an action scene you can get from a movie like this. And, you know, they're driving fast through the cities, cities of, of France and streets of France and probably just Paris. And, you know, I, I was going to say Paris, but I, that's never established. Is it? No, it's in Paris. It's because, it um, because at the, uh, at the the time when he starts having like the night terrors, the phantom spasms, uh, he tells Omar when, or Driss in the movie when he takes him out, like, "Oh, I haven't seen Paris at night in years." That's right. So they're they're, you know, gliding through the streets of Paris, top speed, being chased by cops, and throws you into this scene, and you don't know the relationship between anyone in 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 the movie so far, and then it breaks it down for you as, you know, until you get to that part again, chronologically in the movie. The only thing I didn't like about that is that everything that happens between the beginning of the movie of the car, of the car chase, and when that same scene reappears again, right? there's no level of suspense that you feel about the characters between those times because you know that what's going to happen, you know, to them, or at least they show up. Uh, maybe I think, I think they do a good enough job of making that opening somewhat confusing though. Right. And I, I do want to say having, it's my favorite scene. So having it, the very first thing you see, it's like, we had this argument before, but I'm going to call this a cold open. Um, before you even have the credits and like you have this very intense scene um they get stopped by the cops finally and then just like he makes a bet like first of all he made a bet that he could lose the cops then he makes a bet that uh, i bet you they'll escort us to the hospital and i do love that philippe plays along with that because obviously it wouldn't have worked otherwise um but then it sort of breaks into this like it's you know it's a very melodramatic kind of intense scene and then once the cops are taking them in, they're both like dancing to, I think, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yep. It's a song that plays again uh, towards the middle of the movie. And, uh, but what I think uh, may kind of not add suspense, but may like make it so that there still is some, is the fact that once that scene ends at the hospital, it cuts. And it's, it's not that confusing, but it can be confusing that this has gone back in time. Yeah, I mean, I, they, don't, I was, they don't give you, they don't tell you like, oh, three weeks earlier, four no, weeks. No, no, I was definitely confused myself. I, you know, it took me a little bit to be like, okay, this is what they did, and and a little bit to, to process that. And I believe the next scene that you're you're shown after that, after the uh, quote unquote cold open, uh, is the job interview scene. Right, and what I what I love about this scene and it sort of exemplifies the rest of the movie is I think it's really hard for a foreign film to consistently make me laugh. I don't know if you feel the same way. And a lot of that has to do with your reading subtitles. So the subtitles can very easily ruin a joke, but the scene where they're interviewing all these guys who are supposed to be like very capable applicants for this very tough job are all kind of like bumbling idiots, which one, 
is hilarious, but two, it sort of adds to the believability element that maybe he would hire Driss because I think that is a bit of a stretch, but it happened in real life too. So you can always point back to like, well, yes, but this happened. Well, what's funny is that, and you get kind of this character development from Philippe on, on, you know, he, he's, he, he has every reason in the world to be this super depressed guy, right? He's paralyzed from the neck down. He can't eat. He can't dress himself. He can't go to the bathroom by himself. He has every reason in the world to be this super depressed dude. And in, I would say about maybe first 30 minutes of the movie, that's kind of what you get, right? You kind of get he's like the serious one note kind of guy. And even though Driz is this kind of like, loose, not loose cannon, but like off the cuff, sort of uh, fun, energetic, younger man, he, you know, kind of breaks Philippe out of this um like droll environment and and you could say like that could be a reason why he wanted to hire him is because he saw that in him he knew like he wanted that kind of excitement in his life and he knew someone like that would bring it to him well he also he tells his brother later on when his brother's really worried about this new new ex-con that they've hired um and you find out later on i guess he he committed a robbery and that's why he went away for six months um, but he says, you know, th- these guys have no pity and Philippe's like, exactly. He has no pity. He has no compassion. He like hands me the phone because he just forgets. Right. Um, and that's what he wants. And I think it's also a little bit believable too, because, um, even though he has to be babied, he doesn't want to be treated like a baby. Sorry. Right. And, uh, Yvonne says later, you know, most people don't last a week or two weeks, and so why not take a chance? Nothing seems to be working. So why not take a chance on this? You know, this guy looks pretty strong. Um, he's willing to do the job. Um, so why not? Well, like, what is the downside? Maybe that's why they call it the upside. Um, are we, I, I was going to say this to the end. Uh, are we ever going to watch the upside? I know. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Good to know. Um, I also like, okay, yeah, we can figure out that's why they call it The Upside, maybe. Why do they call this movie The Untouchables? I think it's, I don't know, you're more familiar with French than I am. But it, it almost to me seems that they're both kind of outcasts a little bit. You know, Driz, you know, Philippe's is obviously more obvious. Um, but Philippe is this guy who's down on his luck, he's just got out of jail, his only family has kicked him out. The, the day that he goes back to get his, you know, signed piece of paper so that he can get his benefit from the Paris, you know, government. Right. He, he gets kicked out from his, what we learned to be aunt, I think. And yes, he then spends all night outside with these guys in this housing project which is for some reason named after, I think, a, a composer. Um, and he spends all, he has nowhere to sleep. So he has to stay up the entire night. And then you see this long journey he has to take back to like the rich part of Paris. Um, and so it's like, they're both in their own way, these like untouchables, these outcasts, which I think is kind of the purpose of, of that title. 
Yeah, I mean, I took it that way too. I I didn't know if there was like a deeper meaning behind it, but that's I mean that's pretty much the way I I uh, I took it. And "intouchables" in French is translated to "untouchables." Um, and also uh, another funny thing is that the title for this movie when it was released in the UK is The Untouchables. Well, I don't know if Connery has something to say about that. Before we move on, I do love all the other applicants for the job. Like, I think they're all amazingly funny. Like, they, what's your motivation? One guy's like, money. Money, yeah. And the other guy's like, I love crippled people. Yeah. I just love them. Yeah, it's either like you get these like completely heartless dudes or you get these like total freaking weirdos. And two, I also think, you know, Philippe says, oh, we can't sign your piece of paper. You have to come back tomorrow or Monday. And um, I was kind of wondering, I was like, why? Why couldn't you just tell him right there? And obviously it it makes it maybe a little more cinematic. Uh, Maybe that's a little more true to how it happened. But I also think it's like it gives him time to to think about it a little more, to talk it over with his staff who are obviously going to have a problem with this. Also, um, you could even say like, hey, if this guy has any, like an ounce of responsibility in his being, he'll show back up tomorrow. And if he doesn't, he won't. And then, it's, okay, fine, whatever. But if he does, there's something in him, you know? What I do like too, and this is kind of, spoiling whatever you should watch this movie before you listen to this it's on netflix so yes. pause now very but easily accessible i do also want to point out there's this running joke that we sort of get the punchline at the very end of the movie about um magali i don't know how to say it in english because they say it in french very quickly but i'll just say magali um the redheaded uh helper oh like yes secretary almost i guess mm-hmm. um the fact that she's a lesbian at the end is the punchline to all these times that Driss, you know, hit on her. Right. And I do love when he's like, Oh, it's too bad. She can't sign it. Maybe he could, she could write down her cell phone number two. And the smile on Philippe's face at first, is just like, Oh, this guy's funny. Cause he's hitting on her, but it's a big smile. And then when you realize later on, like he's smiling because he knows that he's hitting on someone who just will not be interested in, in him no matter what, because she doesn't, you know, find men attractive that way. Um, I just thought that was a really like a nice kind of subtle touch that you get on rewatching. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it works for, for what the movie is at first glance, you know, when you're first watching it, like, Oh, he's making a fool of himself. So it's one of those, like, I feel like there's a ton of those like little things in this movie, like, especially between him and uh, what's her name? Yvonne between Driss and Yvonne. Cause she's like, she's one of the funniest characters in the movie to me. No, yeah, she's she's great. Um, their whole talk about uh, what the gardener wants to give a, give you his pickle. She's like, no, don't you say that. And then later on, they go out on a date. But then, yeah, she also plays up that, oh, uh, Magali might be interested in you. Uh-huh. Um, and she's she, she has this partner, Fred, which you find out later on is Frederic. Um, so, yeah, that whole that whole kind of line of jokes is is pretty funny. And I was talking earlier too about how like beautiful this movie is, and they do this uh they do the same kind of shot twice where they're basically following Driss very closely as he's walking in the uh in basically the projects like mm-hmm. where uh where he lives, and they have the the music going it's just it's kind of so beautiful, and then that leads to him getting kicked out and you know him having to be outside all night um 
which I think we we've covered. So then the, the next thing that really happens is he, he goes back and I guess figures out that he's been offered this job. Yeah. He goes back to have the paper signed, right? Yeah. That's what yeah. he thinks. Right. And then he's kind of just like thrown into this <laughs> thrown in. He's like, Oh yeah. I, I love that buildup too. how they're showing him around. Like, Oh, these are the hallways. This is the bathroom. This is your room. And then he's like, wait, what? Like, I just need to go to the dude to sign the paper. Like, that's it. And then by the time he knows it and us as the audience, he's already working for them, basically. Right, too. And we talked about how, like, fast this movie feels. And I think the reason is that is because there's two different montages, basically, Mm -hmm. of just, like, you know, quick cut scenes that sort of show the beginning of him working there. You know, you have him in the shower confusing the foot cream with the shampoo. Um, and then the joke about what are the white gloves for? And he's like, oh, you're not ready for that. <laughs> like the, the line delivery on that, even though I can't understand it and I have to read it, of you're not ready for the white gloves. <laughs> and then him arguing with the lady as she's eating her lunch. You know, what's funny is that the montage in the beginning, and I know which one you're talking about too, because there's one a little bit later on where like it shows he's got this, like yep. he has the whole routine down pat. And I think that I, I, I would barely consider the first one a like proper montage because the scenes are a little bit longer winded. It's not such a quick cut. But then the one later on where he's like wakes him up, gets him dressed, gets him to the office, opens the mail. I, and I love those two scenes and how they, how they contrast each other because one shows him like getting into it. And then the... And it's sad too, right? Because after the montage, the latter one where it's like, oh, he's got this whole schedule down pat. It like comes to the end of his, of his job there, like the beginning of his termination. Right. And I wanted to get into this at some point, but we can do it now. One interesting part about this movie is you have no idea what the timeline of this is. So in the beginning, he says, you know, I'm going to give you a month trial. I bet you don't last two weeks. Right. And then, you know, a month has passed because that night that he has the phantom pains and he takes him out to dinner and he gets him high and they go to a restaurant and they're just talking about Philippe's life and what happened. And you learn like it was a paragliding accident and his wife had terminal, a terminal illness. And so they adopted his daughter, which, by the way, I do not know what the daughter's name is. It was interesting looking at IMDb, like not a lot of people besides the two main characters are that well known. Like most of them don't even have like profile pictures, like photos on IMDb. Oh, the actors. Right. Yeah. Huh. And so you know that a month has passed at that point. And then you have no idea how much longer he stayed with him before he had to quit because of his brother. And then you have no idea how much time has passed for when he comes back. And I think it doesn't really take away from the movie. It's just kind of interesting that they, they just sort of disregard time as a concept in this movie. Like it just couldn't matter in the slightest. Well, it's not like I think that it, it disregarded time. I mean, obviously some time has passed since between the two scenes you're talking about, but You're right. I I do like how you know time has passed, 
and but they don't tell you like outrightly and they just show you by like how people's relationships are to each other and and i think one thing that i really like about this film overall touching on that is the amount of exposition and explaining and like walking the audience through this film when it doesn't happen through like the eyes of Driss, like Driss getting familiar with the habits and the routine and everything from Philippe, it doesn't happen at all. You know, like the only thing that it really explains is the relationship between Philippe and his aunt and what happens there just because he has to explain it to, I mean, Driss and his aunt, just because he has to explain it to Philippe. But other than that, it's up to you as the audience to kind of like, pick it apart, figure it out, and be like, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there's really two areas of sort of exposition. For Philippe's, it's at that dinner I was talking about. And then for Driss, it's, I think, what, on the plane? No, no, it's when they get back from the paragliding. It's when they get back from the paragliding. And the, the thing with the, with, with in doing that, it does leave a chance for your audience to like, move on past a scene and not like like quite get it 100% and i guess this is why we started a podcast and had a discussion so you know we can kind of check ourselves with this so i have something to actually ask you about this movie that maybe you caught and i didn't okay the way it was cut and the way it was uh shot all right i know that doesn't make sense you'll 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 see what i'm saying in a second Remember when he when he has that date set up with I forget her name but the girl that he was like um, pen pals with I think it's Eleanor Eleanor so when he has the date with Eleanor and he's sitting there with Yvonne that's Eleanor passing them entering the cafe as they're leaving right correct so from what I've known, I mean, this came out in 2012, so it's not like ancient times. Explain to me why you wouldn't call someone and tell them that you're an hour and a half late on showing up somewhere. And then other than that, explain to me on why you wouldn't contact them after the fact that if you like missed each other and you did arrive late, being like, hey, I'm here, where are you? Well, I think this is kind of... I'll give you my impression of what I thought. And this is something my wife and I were talking about before we started recording because she thought it was con- not confusing, but but the, the movie definitely like doesn't answer some questions, but I think, so Yvonne is telling him, oh, it's like 4.45, right? And mm-hmm. then he starts drinking and then he drinks another, a double whiskey. And then he decides to leave at around six because Yvonne's like, hey, it's just barely six. Right, yes. To me, it almost seems like maybe she was a few minutes late and that he had gotten there so early that he had just built this up and he had this big anxiety because he, um, you know, this is getting a lot ahead, but we'll, we'll piece it all back together later. But he sent a photo of himself standing up rather than in the wheelchair. And so because of that, you know, it's going to be a surprise to her, his, you know, his situation. Eleanor's not going to know to expect that. And so he's right. built this up and he's got all this anxiety. So she could have only been a few minutes late. And I think after that, I think he avoids talking to her because he's just like, 
he's so worried about the rejection and like no one, you know, he's this untouchable that no one's going to want to be with him once they see his situation, that he is sort of sabotaging it before it can happen. So if it's that, that makes sense. And the only reason that it wouldn't be that is because the two times that you are given is 445 and then like six. So the fact that they're there at 445, I'm like, oh, is there is there dinner at five? And he's just, you know, arrives 15 minutes early. Um, because it never really established. I don't think that it, he arrived at some sort of like ridiculously early time, right? So my thought was right. if, if their if their reservation or dinner date was at five and he didn't leave until six and she didn't show up, then I'm like, well, no. He has every right to leave. But yeah, I mean, if it's the anxiety thing and it, it wasn't that big of a deal, like she was running, you know, 15 minutes late. Okay, fine. And, and real quick too. So we were talking about the montage that does set up a few kind of important details. One, the, the hooker file that he starts for him. Yes. And then I think the, the montage also does a, a really great job of like comedically and quickly explaining like, how hard this would be because it would it would like it would be really hard for any of us to get used to if we don't have the you know the experience to take care of someone that needs this level of care right and so i juxtaposing that to when he finally gets it i mean i think that happens sort of right after their their like night walk when you know he's having these phantom pains and driss comes in and sort of saves him Although I think he would have been fine without it, but you don't know that as the audience. Uh, and then he, you know, takes him outside to get air and they have like have this talk and Philippe's explaining what happened to him and how like the worst part isn't even the injuries and that he really kind of almost did that to himself on purpose. But the worst part is like losing his wife. I think that's kind of the turning point of the movie. Like from, I think the, the montage right afterwards is kind of the, is the, Oh, he gets it now. Everything's clicked. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that that scene is kind of so pivotal in explaining this kind of this backstory that as the audience, you're, you have to be looking at Philippe the entire time and saying what happened to him. I know that I forgot what happened to him because I haven't seen this movie in like five or six years. And I was like, do they explain what happened to him? And then obviously there's a cool you know, paragliding scene later. Um, and I think he, like you had to have been wondering that, I assume. Yeah, but also, like, there's certain movies and there's certain points in a movie, and I thought maybe this was one of them, that maybe it doesn't matter what happens to him, right? What happened to him, the fact that he's just in the situation and, and this is what they have to deal with, you know, in the plot of the movie, I could I could be fine with just not knowing. But it it makes sense, because Driss would be curious and why wouldn't they have a conversation about it? Um, what did you think? There's a few, there's so like, you know, like we said, this movie's under two hours and it's really tight in its like plot development, but there's a few like little details in this film that really, really gives it character. So just a couple I want to touch on real quick is Driss's relationship with Philippe's daughter. Right. I thought was really interesting. Um, not that they had much of one, 
but I like how when they first met, she went on top of the roof to like make out with a guy and he's like busting her chops for that. And then mostly because he doesn't really care about her, but he cares about Philippe. He like tracks down the guy from school and like roughs him up and he's like, Hey, you better treat her right. But then there's this thing where he's like, she came into my room. She's touching my shit. You better like spank her or something. Oh, you can't because you know, you're going to run her down when you're going to. Yeah. And, and that whole thing I thought was really interesting. um, Cause she's a very minor character. She doesn't have a big role in this at all, but the little bit that she does uh, have in it directly like, works with Driss's character I found amusing well one it, it kind of sets up that um Driss and Yvonne it kind of shows the development of their relationship that they're really close now because Driss is going off to Philippe about you have to do something about your daughter I'm gonna do it and Philippe's like you're overreacting and looks at Yvonne and she's like no nah, he's not really overreacting <laughs> right she's horrible <laughs> right. um but also too it kind of sets up the uh you know, earlier in the scene, they look at this painting and it just looks like someone took one red brush stroke and threw it at the, the wall and it's worth, you know, 41,000 euros. And so he decides he wants the paint. Right. And I think the, the comedic element of him, like the daughter coming in, seeing he's painting, she's like, what, you're painting? Did you learn to read now too? And then he goes to yell at Philippe about this. And Philippe, the only thing Philippe could think of, he's like, wait, you're painting? And then after he after Driss leaves the room, he's like, he's painting? What is he painting? <laughs> to Yvonne, like, yeah. the only thing that matters well, I mean, to him. It's such a good, like, that part is so well written because not only does it, like, show that he cares about the family, right? And I'm talking about Driss here. That he cares right. about the family to bring it up to Philippe that he has to, like, you know, be hard on his daughter. You know, he he might not all be there physically but he has to be there mentally to her as a father it shows the development and relationship build between Driss and Yvonne who are kind of at odds in the beginning but not a lot but but you know it shows their characters getting closer and then it shows like so the second point I wanted to make was about the art and how art kept coming especially painting kept coming into this movie a uh, little bit here, a little bit there, but like, I love it how, it, like, like you said, it was, it's started off as this painting with like this one red brush stroke and they're making up all kinds of garbage about it. They're like, wow, calm yet violent. violent. Yeah. And just is like, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't get, and this all, I mean, you could see like some of this leading up to like, a punchline like this is all set up to one big joke through the movie like with with the um secretary being a lesbian but it starts off with him not understanding art philippe wants to kind of educate him in you know cultural things him being like oh my god if that can sell for forty one thousand dollars, i better start painting so he starts painting and that all ends with the punchline of how philippe sells Driss's painting to his brother for like how much? Eleven thousand euros. Eleven thousand euros, and uh, I love the and once again like Philippe, the, you know the actor who plays him doesn't have a ton to do, but like his 
the the points where he just is kind of smiling like is <laughs> right. is so well done and like the the fact that he's selling this to his brother just because they don't have the greatest relationship ever since his accident and he's just sort of getting one over on him and it's just making him laugh the way his brother's talking about this painting like oh it's gonna triple in value and i'm gonna miss out um is so great to me i just wanted to say what category of film like what genre would you would you categorize this film in is it a drama is it a comedy because films like this i I feel like people want to say oh it's a drama or it's a dramedy but i don't i don't know well it's a dramedy but it's definitely more comedy to me like i watch this because it's because it's funny i remember telling uh i told your girlfriend taylor that i thought she was gonna cry and then the whole movie went through. I was like, oh, wait, I guess it's not as sad as I remembered it. I thought it was. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny because you, okay, so I would say it's a dramedy too. But for me, I was on the more side of the drama. And it's funny how you look at it and you're more side on, on, on comedy aspect of it. Right. To take it back real quick too, uh, talking about Philippe's daughter, you know, in the end, she takes a bunch of emodium to try and kill herself, which... Is it, I mean, you could maybe take that scene a little bit more serious. But she then offers to pay Driss to go talk to her boyfriend, Bastion, to, like, come back to her, which is... Whoa, she, whoa, she offers, whoa, whoa, wait. She tried killing herself with Imodium? She took a bunch of pills, and then Driss was like, what'd you take? And he finds the box, and he's like, you took Imodium? Oh, he's like, yeah, you know, and makes jokes about how, like, she's going to suffer, but, like, you know, it's not going to be the the end she thinks and then he makes the comment to Yvonne like hey you shouldn't be eating that because I know you take Imodium (laughs) but she offers to pay him to talk to Bastion to take her back I was confused about that too because I thought he just wasn't treating her right that's why she wanted to like quote unquote kill herself right right and so Driss is like all right well how he first is like offended but then at the end makes the joke about how much but to me what he then does is he doesn't go to bastion and say you know take her back he says you said something horrible to her and you have to apologize and then not only to apologize but to show you're sorry you have to bring croissants every day he's like chocolate regularly he's like i don't care what i don't i don't know um but to me it also made it seem like he I took it as he probably didn't make her pay. And along with like him thinking that, you know, I'm part of this family now and I'm Philippe's like the most, one of the most important people in his life is like, so I also have to help Philippe with his daughter, like his daughter's hurting now. And so I have to help with that too. Right. That's what I mean. Like initially he could probably care less about his daughter as a person. And we, as the audience kind of do too, because we don't really get to know her that much character wise. But the fact that, she's Philippe's daughter and he cares a lot about him. That's why he gives it an effort. He like, it shows a scene with Bastion coming up to the house with croissants and like delivering them. And then from like what I imagine, like the second story window, Driss is like yelling at him and he just like, like looks up in confusion and just bolts away. Right. No. Yeah. That was funny too. Yvonne telling him, Hey, we need more of these other type of croissants tomorrow. We, you know, (laughs) like we want the variety to change a little bit. Um, one other, there's a couple more important like subplots of this movie, and one is the the Fabergé egg that Driss stole in the beginning. Mm, yes, and that 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 late night kind of dessert, you know, session when after after they got high, um, 
you know, Philippe says, oh, you, you've just hit one month, so your trial period's over. And just like, oh, so I guess it's my job. And he's like, yeah, but I want my egg back. You know, my wife gave me that every year. I want it back. And Driss denies it. And what I love is they both dropped it because it's almost this unspoken thing between them. Like, I can't admit to it, but we both know I took it and I'm going to get it back to you. So like, let's just not, you know. Right, exactly. And let's just not bring it up anymore. Right. and, and I'm working this, on it. Did you get that the first time you, you watched it? Because I feel like without a word being said, I got it like right away. Like, okay, this is like, he has no reason to keep the egg anymore. Right. And it's, I think it's almost, he probably had forgotten about the egg, right? He took it right. and that was a month ago. Yeah. And he, it's, it's not, it was out of his mind. And now he's like, oh shit, I have to fix this. What I, what I want to say real quick is that, and I'm, I'm backtracking just a little bit because this thought just like came back into my head is, is he's probably so good with the family dynamic and like, trying to be hard, but also taking care of and protective of Philippe's daughter on the account that he has like quite a few sisters of his own. Well, yeah, they're, they're or basically nieces, sisters. To, right. Yeah, cousins, whatever. Cousins. Yeah. But, but that had to have played into some of his like actions towards the daughter is like he's he's grown up with these like how many girls is it like four three four yeah, no, girls? it looks like it looks like eight or nine people in that house um and i think that that's sort of that's shown in the next scene too right because he he goes and picks up the the oldest daughter uh mina yeah uh you know his aunt's oldest daughter and um you think it's just about the egg at first and then he has to pick up his you know what you think is his brother um from jail and then the brother won't ride in the van and like runs off and so driss follows him to see what's going on he's like oh shit he's with those drug dealers drug dealers okay i was because that's something they don't kind of like spell out but it's drug dealers and that that sort of is that's setting up the the reason why he's eventually going to have to quit and why it sort of comes to a head the realization for both philippe and driss like you know, you've been doing this for a while. We have no idea how long, but maybe a year or so, or maybe two years. Um, but now's the time where you kind of, you need to move on. Um, what I found really interesting about that whole thing, and the, that kind of speaks for the movie as a whole, is the scene where Driss goes to confront the drug dealers, being like, hey, he's not going to be doing this anymore, and you're not going to be seeing him anymore. So like back the fuck off, right? Right. Um, in so many words. But where you think the movie is gonna go, and like, oh, they're gonna there's gonna be some sort of retaliation or something. But then it just kind of just dies right there. I, I did think so when they they go on this paragliding trip, which I one I think was like beautifully shot. It's they go on this trip right after the uh, the dinner date doesn't work out and Driss immediately like picks him up from the date, drives him to the airport or a private airport and they fly off and go paragliding, which I think is a really cool scene. Um, they get back and the brother's waiting there. And I have to imagine Philippe is in real life. If this, you know, if this played out this way has to be like a little bit 
freaked out that Driss is outside talking about, no, no one's going to kill him. Nothing's going to happen. There's going to be no retaliation. Like, oh, fuck, what is being brought to, like, my doorstep? Yeah, that happened right before the paragliding thing? That happened right after. They come back from paragliding. It's the reason, it's, like, the impetus for him quitting. Well, so, so his brother shows back up. That's right. Okay. Um, and that does lead to finally figuring out that Fred is Frederic and Magalie's like, well, I wouldn't be opposed to a threesome. He's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, I have to go right now, but it's tonight. You want, I'll come back tonight. And she's like, I'm joking. He's like, ah, all right. And he gives her like a, a bump on the shoulder. Like, all right, buddy. See you later. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think at this point, of the movie because we talked about his brother showing back up and that's the reason he's let go or he quits. We did skip, I think a pretty pivotal scene where it's Philippe's birthday. Now, well, I mean, so the Philippe birthday scene is right in the middle of like, basically it's right after the, the second montage that we talked about. Right. Which I think one has a lot of great stuff too, because like Philippe gets an earring they hire, you know, earlier Driss hired a, a hooker prostitute. It's called the hooker folder. So I feel comfortable saying that's what it was uh, to give him a massage. And then in the second montage, they're both getting a massage. And like the, the masseuse is doing the ears because that's what Philippe, you know, the only thing that really can like work for him. And then she starts touching the body and just like, no, 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 just the ears. Go back to the ears. With the birthday... <laughs> See, that's another set to a joke that happens later on because when he gets a different caretaker, <laughs> it's he, a guy. Also, he also hires some of masseuse, but it's like this like balding fat guy. And it was funny. It's like, get out, everyone out. This is not what I want. Um, no, so, so for his birthday thing, it uh, brings up a couple of things. And first and foremost, when I was writing down notes, the first thing... I want to talk I wanted to talk about and really the main thing is the music in this film and the choice of having mainly like American pop music or like rock music or just this very like like Earth Wind and Fire Fleetwood Mac sort of and it's a French film so it's kind of like you really pay attention when everyone's speaking French. You really start paying attention when, when the lyrics to, the, to almost all the songs in the film are in English, you know? Right. Well, and I think mostly this film deals with, like, classical music. So uh, one of my favorite scenes in the birthday scene is when everyone else leaves and he just has, the, like, this cla- classical orchestra just keep playing random stuff to see if Driss knows any of it. It was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Uh, and Drish just keeps making comments on it and joking on it. It almost felt like ad-libbed. You know what I mean? Like they just like, it, it, was, it was so well done and so funny. Um, he's like, oh, I know this one. And he's like, this is the Paris Benefit Office. <laughs> you, you will receive a response in two years. I also like the, um, I mean, that scene is probably my favorite, mo- favorite scene in the whole film, just because it leads to the dance Now, see, the dance is interesting, right? Because this was like, up till this point, it was like a real hoity-toity party. Like everyone was dressed real proper. Everyone was quiet and listened to the orchestra and everything. And then this is like the perfect 
example of what Driss did to this like family, did to this like household, I guess you would say, is that he just brought it completely to life. Did you think it was like a sweet moment when he got everyone to like dance to Earth, Wind and Fire and everyone was like having a good time? Or did you think it was very cruel to have everyone dance in front of this paraplegic man? I never thought of it that way. No, I thought it was a cool moment. Philippe seemed to be enjoying it too. Um, and I think it was just, you know, it's kind of the, the, you know, this movie is amazing because of the relationship between these two. Right. So it was like this give and take, right? Like, Hey, listen to all this classical music. I think you're going to like it. And he did like some of it more or less. Uh, but then he's like, all right, now my turn. And he like pulls out the iPod. And I think what's funny too, is like the orchestra was still there. So no, they were. Yeah, so they're just like, Drish is like, all right, let's, we're done with that shit. You guys pack your stuff up. I'm going to play an iPod. Uh, we're going to get this party started. Uh, what I do love too is before that, when they're all sitting there just watching the orchestra and like the family's there still, and Driss like makes that guy move down, the reaction of after everyone moves down of the lady who just lost her seat as she looks around like what to do was like so perfectly comedic like that was that was great i mean now that we're going through the whole film and we're breaking it up piece by piece yeah i'm seeing way more comedic moments than like dramatic ones even though i feel like this film never got even though it's hilarious and there's so many funny parts in this movie i never felt like this film got silly no no absolutely not i think i mean the silliest you could say is the the butt clearing thing where he's like has to pull you know he has to help help the guy poop basically and he's just like no i'm not doing it like i'm not i, I refuse like I, I, I can't do it like but i mean that's not even silly because honestly my reaction i would be the same yeah i don't know man if you're if you just got kicked out of your only place to live after getting out of jail for six months and someone lets you live in basically a palace and that's the worst of it. I don't know. I think you tough it up. I don't know. I think that's why Yvonne's there. <laughs> well, Yvonne doesn't do it. It was the, uh, the nurse who, whose name escapes me. The, um, there were a couple other really well-placed like, plot devices, like information, whatever. When Driss first takes him on a drive, he's like, oh, we're not doing the van. What, what about the Maserati? And you would think that Philippe would say no to that at first. Mm-hmm. But he immediately is like, all right, fine, let's take the Maserati. And he's like really enjoying the speed. And then you find out later, oh, he was in a paragliding accident. And he even says like, I really love speed. I really love thrills. Like I've always loved that. And so like it, it then clicks and makes sense. That's why he was so willing to let this guy drive his Maserati. Well, it's a, it's a, that's the difference between like a, a, a great movie and a mediocre one, right? Is because like, I feel like a mediocre would have the explanation first and then the effect where it's like, hey, right you told me this really heartfelt story about you liking, you know, speed and, and adrenaline rushes. Let's take your Maserati. And instead of doing it that way, they did it the other way. And I felt like you're right. It is like, it's way more impactful. And then the other thing that's set up is like the hooker folder where he's like, Oh, maybe we should have a hooker folder. And so then he creates one for him. And then they're deciding on, you know, they're talking at the, uh, it was the um the Wait, German... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The hooker folder was only made because 
Well, the folders were only made because of what he got in the mail. So are you telling me hookers put in like pamphlets? Well, they call it massages, but there was a letter from a massage, uh, like a in-home massage lady, which she then came to the house. France is different than the, than the U.S. I guess so. I guess so. But <laughs> there's a lot of things that were like, you know, they're smoking weed on the street. Um, the fact that the cops didn't like, you know, he's speeding away from the cops that were just like, those are more things that you maybe accept uh, just because it's foreign. But, but what, as I was saying, so he sets up this hooker folder because of the mail. Then later they go to that German opera and, you know, right. they're talking about which photo to include. And so they decide to include the photo with the chair because he's like, you know, yeah, you basically got to be up front with her. And then he tells Yvonne to switch those. And Driss walks in to yell about the daughter. And so Yvonne quickly has to put the wheelchair folder in the hooker folder. Yeah. And then when Driss quits, she says, hey, we have no need for this. And that's where he finds the wheelchair photo and is like, oh, I think that would have to be confusing for him. He maybe just thought, oh, he never sent a photo, period. Um, but that whole setup really pays off in the end and it's really well done. It almost feels like you had to have worked backwards from like, this is the ending we want. How do we get there? Because it's just so well done. Right. No, I agree. And it, and that leads up to him getting fired or taking off. Being let go? I think that's the proper term. He quit. It was an amicable separation. Okay, whatever. So he quit. Um, and then he hi- – so Philippe hires someone new. A couple new people. Like the guy at dinner was different than the guy who hired the, uh, the, the male masseuse. Honestly, David, they all look the same. They're all white guys. I, the the male the guy that hires the male masseuse is one of the guys from the beginning that said he just wanted money. <laughs> and I do like that he's like, oh, uh, when when he kicks the masseuse and him out, and he's like, oh, don't worry, he got up in a bad mood. <laughs> and and Philippe's like, got up, what a fucking prick, because <laughs> he can't get up. <laughs> right, right. Um, no, no, no. So okay, so I, I didn't realize they were different guys. But anyways, as the different caretakers were taking care of him after. Driss quit. Um, he Philippe has the panic attack with the phantom pains again, and the guy just doesn't know. But Yvonne is like, We have to call Driss, and that's what brings Driss back, right? Which is also interesting. This this brings up a lot of questions. I, I, I love the way the movie ends, but one, the fact that, like, how bad, how long, how much time has passed since Driss left to now? Is it like a couple days? Is it a couple weeks? He like he has a new job, and then two. Did he get when, that job? Yeah, he was working because he when when he comes and Yvonne meets him outside, he's actually getting out of the truck. And oh, he that's some, right. And he has some dude take over, I guess, the rest of his shift, and he's like, "I'll be back Monday." Um, but then, so he he immediately comes over, but he then seems to have this whole thing set up where he he's taking he's taking philippe immediately to what i presume is dunkirk because that's where this woman's from which i love the lines of like there's only trolls in dunkirk and like he sees the picture he's like oh she's the only one with all of her teeth in all of dunkirk i've never been to dunkirk and that movie definitely does not make me want to go however that does bring me uh 
to the question of when we arrive back to the beginning of the movie is is at this point, right? Right. Because he puts him in the car, they're speeding along the highway, and you you've seen everything at this point. They get pulled over, they go to the hospital, blah blah blah. Um, from there, when they leave the hospital, that's when you say they go to Dunkirk. Because I was like, in my notes, I was like, they go to countryside. That's that's Dunkirk. So they're just driving and there's like some beautiful kind of B-roll shots of them driving through countrysides, right? And then they get to this hotel where there's the shaving scene, which I love how every shaving scene has to end with the Hitler stash as the right. final thing before you well, shave course. it all off. Of course. And they played, that, they played that out a lot longer than I thought they would, but I, mean, I found it funny. But when he, they first get into that room, he opens the doors and it's kind of seaside, right? And as we know from our Christopher Nolan movie, and from history that Dunkirk is you know, on the water. So I think, and also to have it make sense that he would get a call from Yvonne, immediately go up over there and then be able to set up this date with Eleanor for what, like the next day or maybe two days later. Again, time um, is irrelevant. Had, it makes sense that he would have to go to Dunkirk to make that happen. Um, and so that's why like, this is the first time I've ever thought about the logistics of this, but like Driss had to be making a ton of phone calls to get this Not to work. Necessarily, because he did have Eleanor's mailing address. And if he did take the picture of Philippe, the wheelchair picture from Philippe from the hooker folder, that's probably what he sent. He, to definitely, Eleanor. Pro- he definitely probably sent it to her ahead of time. Um, yeah. But just the fact that the timing all works in the end is a little bit of something you could quibble with. But right. I, it's. I think the ending is so great, so powerful. The look that Philippe gives Driss as Eleanor like shows up, just like, oh, I can't believe you did this, but thank you so much because like I wouldn't have been able to do it for myself. That's crazy how it ends too because Philippe is sitting there like dumbfounded, but then he gets like, all right, I better talk to this woman because I look stupid if I don't start talking to her. And then Driss just like walks away in the distance as it fades to black. Right. Um, it's nice to know, though, like the title cards at the end, like this is a true story. This is an actual picture of Philippe. This is an actual actual picture of his name's not Driss in real life. Yeah, I don't uh, off the top of my head. I don't know what it is. But, um, you know, and, and they're still friends to this day. It's like, oh, well, that's nice. That's good to know. His name's Abdel. Abdel. Yeah, I, I think... The, the fact that this is at least based on a true story, the fact that it's so well done, the thing that I always take away from this movie is like how great the music is, the mix of classical, the mix of 70s <laughs> American music. Um, it, to me, it's just, it really sets this movie apart and it's just kind of so, so well done, so well put together. Yeah. And I just enjoy every single time I watch it which further infuriates its, its Oscar snubbery, but what can you do? I 100% see the appeal of this film. I think, you know, what's interesting too, is that I kind of see where the American critics are coming from. Like, haven't we seen this story before? But the way 
it's shot and directed, I think sets it apart. And I think what sets it apart the most, one, it being a true story is awesome, but also the acting. The acting from these actors that gives these characters like this depth, this like dimension, like, oh, this isn't just like this guy and he's from the hood and he's cool, but silly, but fun. But there's actually like, you know, this guy, he's paralyzed. So he's serious. No, it's, there's actually some like really complex emotions going on. And you see that in the movie. I think that's what really sets this movie apart for me. Well, yeah, they like fully flesh these characters out, but not in a hit you over the head with a hammer. Here's some details about them, like exposition. It's just like you these actors do such a great job of showing this relationship and showing this like friendship that they develop through the movie in such a natural way to me. Um, And yeah, so I completely agree. And it's so hard to spoil this movie. Like I was never really worried about that when we were doing this, except for maybe like if you care about what happens to them in the end. But the whole journey from beginning to getting to the end, it's like you just enjoy it. You just enjoy the movie at face value. And then after you've watched it, it kind of sits with you, you know? So that's what I like about it too. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched The Intouchables.